Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at the future of media, how technology is changing the way we consume and create the news, what emerging technologies and platforms mean for traditional news organizations, and what the future holds for podcasting as a medium. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more are Jane McDonald and Trevor Noblick of the Online News Association. Jane McDonald is the executive director of the ONA, where she manages the day-to-day operations of the world's largest membership organization of digital journalists. Trevor Noblick is the digital director of the ONA, where he connects journalists to emerging tools, technology, training, and resources, and leads programming for ONA's annual conference. Welcome to the podcast, Jane and Trevor. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, thanks a lot. It's our pleasure. Absolutely. The pleasure is mine. So, so let's kick things off today talking about the ONA for listeners who may not be aware of the work you do. Jane, can you share some background info on the organization and its mission? Sure. Um, well, back in 1999, which in uh, digital age is, uh, is dog years, actually, um, a bunch of folks who worked on the web, and you can't see me, but I'm actually making quotation marks around that, the web, <laughs> uh, did get together to, and decided that they needed to form an organization that would be focused on the needs of what they saw as being the very different, although complementary, needs of, um, of digital journalists, although at the time we didn't call them digital journalists, it was online journalists. So even though that was only 15 years ago, as you can imagine, the, the Online News Association has grown uh, to 2,300 members. We have a huge community uh, across social media, probably about 60,000 uh, folks who are engaged in one way or another. And our role basically is to listen to what digital journalists need and try to give it to them. And that encompasses everything from uh, training on tools and technology. We kind of pride ourselves on uh, really knowing about the next things that are coming in technology and how journalists can use them to better tell stories. Um, and also uh, find the, the younger digital natives who are doing incredible work and support them so uh, that they can enter into the media world and bring their skills and talents and also learn from the folks who have been around for a little longer. And, of course, this all is to impact public service and uh, give people the best news they possibly can get. Okay, great. So as you mentioned, Jane, untold changes in the media industry over the course of the last decade or 15 years since the ONA was founded. What are some of the biggest challenges you see news organizations facing today? Well, I think the first one would have to be revenue, right? That's, uh, that, there's been um, no secret about that. Um, I think the good news about that particular issue is that it used to be, uh, back in the old days, that we were looking for this magic bullet that was going to replace display advertising or classified. That's changed, and it changed because it had to. Uh, now there are a lot of experiments being done by really smart people in media, and um, it's going to, you know, it ranges from uh, everything that we may be talking about later, sponsored content, which now is called native advertising, paywalls, which have become different, um, and and have sort of reincarnated themselves. And so it's still a challenge. I mean, there's still um, budgets that are not where they should be, but I think that people are finding answers to that question. There's a whole host of challenges, but I'm just going to quickly run through a couple for you. The other, I'd say, would be uh, what we're finding is the culture in uh, newsrooms. 
which is that uh, a lot of the traditional legacy newsrooms are still operating on an old model of how newsrooms are run, and that includes everything from the way that uh, they look at business models to um, how they engage with uh, within the management structure. And uh, a lot of startups are finding that, you know, they're bringing new energy to that and new ideas. So um, there is that idea of how do we incorporate that kind of culture into an established news organization that's, um, that's maybe working in a different way. A few other things, tools and technology, always uh, a challenge to try to figure out how to train everyone on uh, on technology that's changing sort of by the second. You know, there was um, Meerkat one day and then there wasn't, and now there's Periscope. Um, I think, you know, everybody is trying to grapple with the speed. And then on top of that, try to become an expert in it, you know, within a week. So um, that's one more thing that we try to help with. And then just getting back to journalistic values, I think um, ethics is another one that we're, we're talking about almost daily. Um, how do we make sure that the news that's getting out there through all those incredible social media um, outlets uh, is verified and is true? Um, and I think that has become, that's become a big initiative for us, and I think it is for a lot of news organizations. Okay, nice. Let me touch on one of the things that you mentioned in that last answer, which is emerging tools and technology. So, Trevor, in your role, uh, you help connect journalists with those emerging tools and technologies. What would be some examples of tools and technologies journalists journalists are utilizing now that they weren't maybe five years ago? Yeah, I think almost uh, most digital tools have evolved or changed in the last five years. Uh, I think the most obvious public-facing one are social media tools. So the, use, the way people um, interact with Instagram or Pinterest or even Facebook, which, you know, it was around five years ago, but I don't think it was quite the media content beast that it is today at that point, are, are huge. Um, each of those platforms needs a different kind of conversation. The audiences uh, expect different things. And as Jane mentioned, you're also getting information through those channels and how we verify that and uh, make sure that that information is accurate is, is uh, a critical and emerging role for journalists. There's also a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Particularly, I see a lot around uh, chat applications. A lot of newsrooms are using applications like Slack uh, to coordinate projects and to make sure that their uh, teams are running efficiently. Uh, content management systems and project management tools have evolved a lot in the past five years. Um, and even things like uh, file sharing systems or code repositories, a lot of those tools are only six or seven years old. And we're still feeling out uh, best practices and how organizations are managing those and sharing them with the community. Yeah, definitely. You, you've both mentioned uh, tools or services in your previous answers that, that uh, folks that I work with have turned me on to recently. One is Slack, uh, and I've played around with a little bit. Another one is Periscope, which for listeners that may not be familiar with it, essentially allows you to live stream video from your phone of you know whatever is taking place around you. And it's it sounds crazy to say, but it's, it's super fascinating. Are, are, are one or both of you on Periscope, and what has been your experience with it to this point? Uh, they, it, it was funny because at South Bay, everyone was using Meerkat, and Periscope was – a few people had had a chance to test it out before it was publicly released. But since it just came out last week, um, it's something that we've settled with but not really, I think, had a chance to fully understand the applications of. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's 
sorry, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt I, I you. I think the um, I think the real application there is being able to in real time, um, you know, have this huge audience that you can tweet out to, uh, and I, that's the real value I see. Um, I I did uh, as as Trevor did, and I think as a few of us here on staff have, have um, experimented with it, but um, the applications for it I think are are pretty wide, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get to play around with it a lot more. Yeah, definitely. And and funnily enough, since we're talking about media, one of the first things that I actually watched on Periscope was people just training their phones onto their TVs, and they were streaming video of the, uh, well, I, I will admit it, it was a Justin Bieber roast on Comedy Central. <laughs> <laughs> and Martha Stewart was amazing. I mean, she was killing it. But, uh, you know, I guess that's the kind of application that opens up entirely new possibilities that if, if you're a Comedy Central, you never would have had to worry about in the past. And now, you know, you do. And I guess some of that goes back to the measurement. You know, you, you don't really have a way to measure who your content is being distributed to once these new tools and applications exist. Yep. Um, okay, so so let me ask about, about native advertising, Jane, and something you mentioned in your first answer also goes by the name of sponsored content or maybe vice versa. Maybe it used to be sponsored content, now it's native advertising. But it's been in the news a lot recently. Can you describe for listeners what that is and what is the ONA's stance on native advertising? Yeah, um, so it is sponsored content, essentially. I mean, it's reincarnated, and I think that's probably why it gets such a bad rap, um, especially from uh, legacy media organizations who were really schooled to keep advertorial and editorial separate. But the new native advertising really is a different animal in a lot of ways because it's a little bit more sophisticated. BuzzFeed, who's you know sort of the exemplar of using it, um, they basically have given up completely or discarded um, display advertising in favor of uh, native advertising. And um, if you do it well, which is very hard to do, by the way, because you need to blend it into an environment that includes all the social media, all, including all the new social media that pops up um, in a way that's seamless. Um, and those are very different cultures, each one of those social media. You know, Twitter, Facebook is very different from Snapchat, which is very different from now Periscope. So that's hard to do. So you need to be kind of schooled in I think you need to be a digital native really to understand how that works. So the long story short, the native advertising is essentially a sponsor or an advertiser who um, understands what the customer or the reader or the consumer is looking for and manages to give you that information in a very painless, informative way without, without uh, seeming to advertise, I guess is the way to put it. So a lot of, uh, a lot of folks are learning how to use it and use it well. I think we don't really have a stance on it, um, but I think, you know, it, it, it would basically just be common sense in terms of make sure that you're not tricking your consumers into thinking they're reading news. And that's, you know, a fairly easy thing to do with design and uh, with good um, editorial guidance. Okay, so let me ask about a word that may seem very 2010, but I would be curious to know what the business metrics show about it. And that word is paywalls. So that seemed to be all the rage in the media world a few years ago. How are paywalls working out for organizations like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal? And how are they maybe working out for smaller news organizations that don't have the same clout or name recognition? Yeah, that, uh, well, they're working out very well, uh, thank you, for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> uh, they're making uh, a fairly good profit on, on paywalls. And it's funny because uh, it was a dirty word, even I think going back to 2013, um, people just felt as though it was such an old model and why waste your time? Uh, and a lot of smart people felt that way, um, and I can understand why. 
But the fact is that paywalls are being instituted again, and this is another case of you know basically putting new names on it by using an old model. And I think there's something like 350 small uh, newspapers throughout the United States who use it. And online, it's or for digital, it's definitely a burgeoning uh, source of revenue because you've got tablets and you've got smartphones. And people who are 25 to 34, they, that's the way they get their, their information, and they're very happy to pay for it. I, I think that at some point there was a, a little bit of an epiphany, a new epiphany, that great journalism is worth paying for. And um, it's taken a while because you had that thought that we were getting this for free all this time. Why should we now pay for it? That's kind of, um, that is 2010. And I think in the, in the ensuing five years that there's been a little bit of a sea change in the way that people feel about journalism and, and the need to have good information. So I think it's a lot of things. I think it's, uh, it's new uh, players who are finding new ways to, uh, to use what's known as a paywall a little differently. Um, and it's also uh, younger uh, consumers who are just really, really, they're fine about paying for it, as long as you don't charge them too much for it. Sure. Okay, so since we're here recording a podcast, let me ask you about podcasting as a medium. 2014 was a big year for podcasts with the runaway success of Serial. I read an article recently where the host, Sarah Koenig, said that it had been downloaded 68 million times. Are you seeing renewed interest in audio in general and, I guess, in podcasting specifically as a medium from your constituents? Yeah, we, we definitely are. I, I think the keyword you used was renewed because there have been a lot of people doing uh, great podcasts for a very long time, and they do have a significant following. But it does, it does seem like over the last year there's just been um, a lot more attention paid to podcasting and I think digital audio writ large. I think the um, perception, fair or otherwise, was that audio felt very ephemeral. It was difficult to navigate. Uh, there were a lot of questions about uh, how it got paid for and, and how big the audience really could be. And so I think we're getting to a point now where the conversation has turned to, we know there's an audience, and um, regardless of size, that audience is an extraordinarily dedicated audience. Uh, I'm a huge podcast freak myself, you know, and it's a very... Um, People feel it's a very personal connection that you feel with the host. Um, so I think that's growing. I think the tools for navigating audio uh, have really evolved. Um, groups like SoundCloud and Rivet Radio have really been doing some interesting work around discovery, around moving between different uh, you know, audio recordings, and coupled with podcasts. Uh, it, it feels like in 2015 there's just a tremendous amount of energy around that, and lots of uh, newsrooms are looking at uh, launching podcasts and finding ways to um, host those that still feel like the voice of whatever their other products might be. Sure. So, Trevor, other than the other than the innovation engine, what podcast do you listen to regularly? Yeah, I I listen to Serial <laughs> alongside everybody else. Right. Uh, I really like Planet Money. Uh, I check in sometimes on WTF and, uh, you know, some of the other podcasts that, I, you know, Love and Radio and some of these others that I think are uh, pretty commonly listened to. Um, you know, and I try to sample others here and there because lots of groups are doing really interesting things. Uh, NPR just launched Invisibilia. Uh, Radio Lab is put together as a podcast now. So um, there's lots of interesting places to hear what different people are doing um, in, in digital audio. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I would I would recommend if you haven't listened to it already, start up um, by uh, an, an, a former Planet Money host, I believe, Alex Bloomberg, who's starting his own podcast company. Uh, so yeah, they they talk about kind of the resurgence of podcasting in general and and what it's like to start a company over the course of twelve episodes, I believe it is. But really pretty fascinating stuff and and very well done. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's been really interesting, and and what's what's also interesting is that that has led them, you know, the the that podcast for those who haven't heard it is geared toward launching a podcast company and asking these hard questions about how they get paid for outside of the the nest of public media, and so you know they think there's a real market there uh, and are exploring that, and it, it is a really I, I think you know for people who are just interested in innovation and uh, digital media in general, it's a really fascinating journey. I was going to mention, too, that one of the great things, we're actually having our conference, our annual conference, which is a pretty big deal in the digital journalism world, I hope, um, is happening in September in Los Angeles. And because of that, we're getting turned on to, especially Trevor, who is much more involved in this than I am, um, to, to one of the, many of the podcasts that are in L.A. Um, so we're really looking forward to bringing some of that to the conference in a big way. Okay, very nice. And you're both recently back, speaking of conferences, from ONA's first international conference, which was held in London on mobile design, content, and distribution. So what were some of the biggest takeaways the two of you had from the conference in London? Yeah, I had two. One is that uh, as chat applications grow, it's creating new opportunities uh, for journalists to uh, connect with audiences. We had a whole conversation about how people might use uh, WhatsApp, how people might use Snapchat, um, e- even tools like SMS are really useful for um, connecting with people, asking questions of your audience, sharing things, uh, uh, asking your community to share things back with you, sending content out in different ways. So um, th- there's a lot to be done there. Most of the work is fairly nascent, but what's really interesting is some groups are even creating tools to share stories particularly from their mobile sites over some of these chat platforms. And the hit counts there are incredible. Uh, so the numbers that people are seeing, if, like, if I share something very directly with a friend of mine, it's probably something they're extremely interested in, and that's the reason that you know, I'm sharing it with them. Hopefully it's something they find interesting, and they're really likely to open and engage with that um, bit of content. So that was really interesting to me. And the other one is a, a really big question that I think we're only uh, just getting to in journalism, which is that the experience uh, of looking at content in something like Facebook or Snapchat Discover is a very smooth experience. You know, videos play seamlessly, advertising displays really well. But when you leave that, when you click on a link and you exit the app and go to the web to get to a piece of content, it feels very slow and clunky, and it's starting to become problematic for users as more and more people are coming to news via mobile devices. And so um, Snapchat and Facebook in particular have been trying to get more and more content hosted on their platforms. So it's produced by newsrooms, but it's then moved to Facebook so that it's displayed seamlessly alongside everything else. And I think that raises a lot of questions, you know, business decision questions, content uh, development questions, uh, how things are distributed, how audience data is getting shared. And so we were uh, having a lot of really good discussions about what that looks like and what that means for newsrooms. Okay, nice. How about you, Jane? Any big takeaways from the conference? 
Yeah, uh, well, it was sort of like going back to uh, 2004 for us in a lot of ways because our, our annual conference um, is now about 2,000 people, which is wonderful, but um, the intimacy of, you know, and, and the really one-on-one networking uh, is a little bit more difficult, and this was 200 uh, people, so it, what was interesting to me was uh, uh, it was kind of retro in a lot of ways. Just the the way that um, folks, first of all, how much they needed and wanted that that um, mobile experience and, and to be able to share the expertise, but also just the really great conversations that happened in the hallways as opposed to, you know, in the presentation rooms, um, which was, was really great. Okay, nice. So, Trevor, let me ask you a question about the kind of new age journalist. I think often when people hear the word journalist, myself included, they think of like a newspaper reporter with their scribble pad and their raincoat and their hat on, which is probably slightly outdated. I mean, that's like somebody from the 1950s. But when you hear the word journalist, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, you know, I I have a friend who once said that journalists, are basically professional citizens, people who are um, asking questions in the public interest, and they should be able to receive straightforward answers and be able to contextualize um, what's happening in any given area or field. And I would add to that that um, journalists, you know, bring some kind of narrative element, a storytelling structure to that. And in a lot of ways, I don't think that's changed. I don't think there's anything in in digital that changes how people um, think about creating compelling narrative. But what what has shifted is a lot of those pieces come together in a nonlinear way. So when something is breaking, you'll see lots of people tweeting about it, journalists and, um, and otherwise, and that information is often collected, you know, by a newsroom or or by um, you know organizations who might have an interest in that, just to take a look at what's happening, make sure people are aware. You know, photos get shared really quickly, and then slowly the narrative, the narrative and the context emerge and are kind of layered uh, into those elements. And so I think that lots of stuff gets pulled together and published, um, and the narrative comes after, whereas, you know, before we kind of wait until we had a story and then just publish that story. And then now there's a lot of intermediate steps. And I think that's uh, changed a lot um, for journalism. Sure. Okay, so so let me ask two professionals that are in the space. I know we all have our favorite outlets or websites or applications where we get our news. Where do the two of you source your news from? <laughs> well, I think we both have the same answer to this question. Actually, we were just talking about it before uh, we, we uh, got on the call. Um, I, I'm mostly from social media for me. Uh, more and more I find myself going to Twitter um, and Facebook to a certain extent, but mostly Twitter uh, and I'm able to keep on top of the news that's happening. But again, my uh, Twitter feed is filled with, as you would imagine, journalists and media and those who are interested in it and those who love journalists. So uh, that's, that's going to be a great place for me to, to look for what's happening. Okay. Yeah, and, and for me, it's a fan, you know, like many people, I think um, social media is probably a primary channel. Uh, I am a, a dutiful member of our local NPR station. Uh, I do have a digital subscription to the Washington Post. Uh, again, podcasts are, um, uh, you know, something I listen to pretty regularly. And, you know, we we get a chance to see some really cool stuff come through, too. Um, we, we run an online journalism awards program every year, um, highlighting some of the best digital news that is put together in a year. So 
just those submissions uh, tend to be a really great way to kind of check in and see what people are doing, what cool projects they have. And then we actually publish all the, the uh, final nominees to our website. And I know lots of people come to that and go through that just to see what they've missed. Um, so, you know, there's, it's probably a mix of, uh, you know, going to the old homepage and then also getting things through social and coming in through some of those indirect channels as well. Yeah, I, I feel like a dinosaur. I go to, to Drudge Report still. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Trevor, let me ask. Uh, you, you just mentioned awards that you all that you all hand out. When is the, uh, I guess, winter awards given out? And can you share maybe one or two examples of, of stories or uh, of stories that have won in the past? Or experiences? Yeah, I don't even know. If, is stories the right way to phrase it? Yeah, yeah, they, they are stories. They're digitally produced content. Um, so the awards themselves are given out at our conference. So again, that's uh, September 24th through the 26th in Los Angeles this year. The application process is open um, pretty soon, so it's a good chance for everyone to, to submit projects if they have an interest. Um, yeah, and we've done everything from awards for large and small newsrooms, just covering like general journalism. We do a lot of data um, project awards. Uh, we have awards covering breaking news. So, you know, any kind of facet of journalism where there's some really interesting digital media work happening, uh, we try to include. And we, we do varying sizes of newsrooms, too, so you can see what large and, and small newsrooms are doing. And it evolves every year. Uh, we take a look every single year at what, what's included in those. Um, and we cut some categories, and we add some categories, and expand some categories. Um, so it's a really great way each year to kind of – I think last year we just looked at how the categories have changed over the last 10 years. And it was a really interesting eye on the evolution of uh, digital media over that time. Uh, so it's a really good way to kind of get a feel for, for what's happening and what, what interesting projects are, are out there right now. Yeah, we also, um, we do look at them, as Trevor said, every year to see what, what's new. So in, in that way, we've uh, introduced Journalism uh, Technical Innovation Award, which necessarily doesn't go to a journalism organization, but to a tools and tech company that might be doing something terrific that journalists use a lot. Um, Storify was a, was a winner one year. We, we tend to look at data, technology, any, anything that might impact journalism in a new way and try to award that and reward that because uh, we feel as though the storytelling uh, opportunities and methods and formats have changed so much um, that we have to try to keep up with that. Okay, so, so let me ask a question about platforms because Medium is a relatively new platform that I've been turned on to recently and it seems like a great place for content creators to create their own content and or distribute content that they've written elsewhere. But do you see pressure on journalists to write their content for one place and then syndicate it in, you know, one or two or three or four or dozens of others? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, in some ways, you want a platform that serves the broadest number of people, right? So Facebook's a really valuable um, place for people to go. Pinterest has um, is a content driver for a lot of the sort of um, digital first sites. Uh, but I, I do think there are still emerging platforms that are useful and new ways to think about engagement. And so we talked about a few in terms of chat apps, for instance, um, with, with Snapchat as a core chat function being a place where people invite uh, uh, you know, their communities to send information in, they can send information back. 
But I do think that you really do have to tailor that message per platform. It's one of the most common questions that we get. It's, it's a little bit exhausting at this moment because I think a lot of journalists feel like they almost have to learn a new platform every year and what audiences on that platform expect. And then they have to take one piece of content, but draft it specific to those platforms in a different way for all of those different audiences. And that, that takes a long time, and it takes a lot of um, thoughtful effort. It's not something that um, you can do on the fly if you're doing it well. And so um, I, I do think we're, we're probably going to get to a point where there's some kind of saturation of platforms, and media outlets are going to have to make hard choices, I think probably specific to each newsroom and who their audience is, about which platforms they're going to focus on. Okay, nice. Well, that's a great note to close on. Uh, Jane and Trevor, thanks so much for taking the time out today to speak with us. It was great having you on to talk about the intersection of media and technology and the kinds of changes we can look to see in the media and journalism space in the coming years. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being here. If you'd like to learn more about Jane McDonnell or Trevor Noblick, you can follow them on Twitter at at JaneONA and at MobileTrevor. You can follow the Online News Association at at ONA, and you can visit their website at www.journalists.org. Thanks once again to Jane McDonald and Trevor Noblick for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to have Stephanie Rowe on the podcast to talk about creating organizational change that lasts. We'll talk about why it's important for companies to be able to implement change successfully at scale, the role of design thinking and human-centered design in bringing about lasting organizational change, and what anyone in the government space should know about affecting change at government organizations. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, produced, edited, and published each week by Three Pillar Global, a product lifecycle management and software development company based in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information on the company or our services, please visit our website at www.threepillarglobal.com.